ever after true? I'm more of a chaser, really. Although the cerebellum has many functions, it is primarily associated with movement. Specifically, it seems to be involved with facilitating movement by detecting errors that occur in the course of a movement and correcting them. Welcome to Chaser After Truth, a Quidditch podcast by Alejo Enriquez, who is me. I really don't know why I like weird things. I mean, obviously, you're listening to a Quidditch podcast, you like weird things too, listener. But uh, I find that I like three different sports very, very much. I'm very passionate about all three of them. They're all different in a lot of key ways. The thing they have in common, I think, is that they're, they're a little bit off the beaten path. In addition to being a big Quidditch aficionado, I'm also a black belt in Shotokan Karate, and I love training in martial arts of different kinds. I've cross-trained at a bunch of different ones, and I always enjoy it. And I also uh, really enjoy the, the sport, quote-unquote sport, of Dance Dance Revolution, the arcade game where you use your feet to uh, step on pads in time to the music and uh, score points uh, that way. And uh, if you've never seen Dance Dance Revolution played before, I'll include a uh, video. I don't think I have any good videos of me playing, but I'll include a video from just YouTube if you can see what it's like when someone plays Dance Dance Revolution. And it's, it's so interesting to me that there are a number of parallels just in that it's something different, it's something unusual. And, you know, having played for over half my life, I think I started playing when I was like, 15 or something like that even um i've watched a lot of people try ddr for the first time and uh it's never they're never good at it the first try like some people are better than others on their first try but no one has ever acted i think what i really want to record this episode about is ddr but drawing parallels to quidditch because i have watched literally hundreds if not thousands of people try dance dance revolution for the first time and uh, pretty much universally, almost everyone who tries it is worse at it than they think that they will be. And maybe some of that is because it's only because I'm there. So they probably watched me play before they're playing themselves. And I've been playing for a long time. And of course, I'm not going to try and say I was good at it right away. I had to learn how to get better at it. Um, I really advanced in it similar to a martial art. Um, I don't think I'll ever record a DDR-centric podcast, but if I do, I'm going to have to include some stuff on what I think the different ranks of playing DDR would be involved, because I have thoughts on that. Um, but that's a that's a side note. Um, but what's interesting to me is that people, you know, and of course a lot of people try it, they don't say anything, they just, you know, they, they, they try it, they like it or they don't like it, they don't say much about it. Um, and I'm, I'm not very good at reading people's facial expression and body movements and body language and stuff. I'm just bad at that. But sometimes someone will actually say something. And when they actually say something about it, it's almost always, wow, this is hard. This is harder than I thought it was going to be. And of course, like I said, some of it might be that they just watched me do it. And I don't look like anything special. So they figure they should be able to be good at it too. Um, and I think the reason why people consistently underestimate how hard it will be has to do with the cerebellum. 
So I teach anatomy and physiology. That's that's like my day job. That's how that's how I, I, I earn my food money. So uh, when I'm teaching anatomy and physiology, and I show a map of the brain. There's this kind of really heavily ridged portion tucked down in the back, kind of down by by your neck. It's kind of at the, the top of your neck, basically, and it's called the cerebellum. And the cerebellum is an unconscious part of the brain. Now I actually teach this in in A&P that the conscious part of the brain is the the outer shell, especially the front of the outer shell, the the forebrain. The, um, I should say specifically the frontal lobe, the, the prefrontal cortex, the very front part. That's where your actual thinking and feeling happens. You experience emotions there. You make decisions. You initiate voluntary motor movement. All of that happens there. And the other parts of the brain we teach are unconscious parts. The brain stem, you have no direct control over your breathing or heart rate. I mean, obviously, you, you have direct, direct control of your breathing. But if you're asleep, your breathing happens involuntarily. That's stuff that happens in your brain stem. Your diencephalon, it filters your senses. That's unconscious. That's involuntary. You cannot consciously choose uh, to you know, be overwhelmed by stimuli. They just, it just happens. Uh, your, your hypothalamus is part of the the midbrain, well, not the midbrain, but the diencephalon, which again is involuntary and unconscious. So that's part of your brain that does um, hunger and thirst. You don't choose to be hungry; you just are. And the cerebellum is also part of the unconscious, involuntary part of the brain. But what the cerebellum does is it, and, and what it does is super complicated. I'm going to oversimplify it. But what the cerebellum does is it uh, receives signals coming from your muscles and tendons and ligaments throughout your body to create a map of, of your body's positions, uh, your limbs position. It's called proprioception. It, gets, it has its fingers in your proprioceptors. And then it reads that kind of data and learns how to adjust the firing of what are called your motor neurons. Those are basically the nerves that make your muscles contract. So when you're first learning to do something, your cerebellum has no like pre-recorded data on how to make this movement. You tend not to do a good job with it. And this is also this is true in DDR. This is also true in karate where I watch I've watched I've taught literally dozens if not hundreds of new people trying karate for the first time. And it's always the same story. It's very awkward. It also, the movements are very choppy. And part of that's because they don't have any muscle memory yet. Now, muscle memory is a, is a word that describes what the cerebellum does. The cerebellum reads what our movements are and kind of reads what our brain wants it to be. It kind of acts like it's an intermediate between the front of the brain and your muscles in your body. And it actually learns how to adjust the firing of the motor neurons and controls the motor neurons, kind of adjust them so that your movements become automatic. For example, you don't need to think about what your legs are doing when you're walking. Uh, this is just a fact. If you, it, Except for the rare people who are born without a cerebellum. It's actually something cerebellar agenesis. It's a rare disorder where you're born without a cerebellum. And when you're born without a cerebellum, Everything, including walking, is a very difficult. And you, there, you can learn to walk. I think it was a, it was a boy in China who had needed a brain scan for something, and they found he had cerebellar agenesis. And when they explained this to the mom, she said, "Oh, that's why I guess he couldn't walk until he was seven. Which you know, I guess maybe she was from rural China because uh, 
If there's a doctor nearby, you should take them in if they're not walking at the age of six. So uh, just a hint for you guys who have kids and may not learn to walk right away. So the cerebellum is is unconscious and involuntary and so it's learned how to walk because we learn how to walk you watch a baby walk and they're terrible at it but they learn that that learning we take for granted very easily because we don't feel that learning it just we do it until you get good at it and this is something that i've mentioned before that there's a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset and it's not really a, like a two camps it's more of a spectrum of what you feel is something that you can get better at what you feel is just kind of the always the way it's going to be the existence of the cerebellum suggests that anything with movement we should be more growth oriented than we are we should believe that we can get better at something just by practicing it over and over because that's what your cerebellum is literally for but it's people who don't do sports for you know as a part of their normal lives and don't especially aren't trying new things regularly that are sports or movement-based, are going to really struggle when they're introduced to this idea that they are taking for granted their cerebellum that is programmed how they move and things. And, and this is true not just in DDR, but I think it's really obvious in DDR. It's true in Quidditch. It's also true with stuff like pool. Like you take someone who's never played billiards before, like... It, it looks really straightforward like it's not hard it's kind of the angles involved are kind of intuitive so you know like it's not like it's actively a hard thing to do but people who are never played it before are rarely any good at it because um all of these very minute adjustments that your cerebellum makes to create the outcome you want not the outcome that your brain has literally sent your muscles is something that takes time and and you know so so for anything that you're learning to do for the first time you're it's going to feel awkward it's going to be weird and that's because you're used to having your cerebellum do all the hard work for you but uh, uh but anytime you're trying something new that that creates a really uh you know you're going without that crutch and people who don't realize that that's a crutch are in for rude surprise and that's a very vulnerable feeling when you thought it was going to be easy and now all of a sudden you're taking a double double ego hit. You're taking an ego hit to the fact that you thought you were going to be good at it and you aren't. And you're taking an ego hit that you don't know yourself as well as you thought you did. And those are both, each of those individually kind of sucks. And when you hit both of those together, it's no wonder that so many people play DDR once and then never again. So many people try Quidditch once and stop. So many people take the introductory karate class and then I never see him again you know that's normal and some of it some of it we can mitigate by the way we explain things by trying to tap into already present cerebellar circuits some of it is normalizing failure for new people getting a whole bunch of new people to try it together all at once um, some of it is trying to see, manage expectations and some of it's also accepting that not everyone who steps up to the plate is going to have fun and is going to want to try it again. Not everyone wants to go through the hard work of retraining their cerebellum for something new. So that's something that's really relevant for recruitment, especially. This is the drill. This of the is week. the drill of the week. Drill of the week. So the drill of the week is for brand new people. This is like the people who are going to be the 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 most awkward, the most their body is not um, doing what they want it to do. And this is a concept that's normal in education. You see this all the time. This is something called scaffolding. 
And scaffolding is where rather than trying to go jump straight from the ground to the roof, you put scaffolding up, you put a ladder up, and you go step by step. And so you can scaffold anything, um, but usually what you do with brand new people is you want them to start playing Quidditch right away. You want to start, you want them to start actively like playing, and usually it's chaser because there's more chasers on the field than beaters. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna talk about scaffolding, passing, and and catching and throwing on the run. So you start, stay, so so this is basically you break it down to as many steps as possible. This is the best with one-on-one, -on -one, one coach with one new person. You can do it with multiple new people. If you have a horde of new people, you can get them to work with each other, but you got to like go around and make a lot of corrections. So your step one is literally just catching and throwing stationary. And even then, this is something that needs correction because most people will catch with two hands, then they'll throw with the hand without moving their lower body at all. They literally just catch and then they'll whip that one arm back and forward and throw it without adjusting their body position. And so this is where you start going around correcting that you go into a catching stance where you have two hands up and your broom is uh, between your legs and you switch on, you know, quickly and unconscious. And this is unconscious to an experienced Quidditch player, but to a newbie it takes time to switch to grabbing the broom with your off non-dominant hand and that way you can involve your lower body in the throw. So you kind of just go for catching stance to throwing stance. And then you go, okay, now what we're going to do, you mean we're going to walk from here to there. And we're going to catch and we're going to throw. And so as they're walking, they have to hold the broom. Then they have to catch, which means they have to bring their legs together. And they're going to kind of interrupt their walking, which is okay because we're learning. And then they're going to go back to holding the broom and they're going to throw. Uh, you usually want them to throw, if they're right-handed, throwing to their left because it's an easier throw to make. But you can also teach the push pass and then you can have them pass um, to the right, a right-handed person to the right or left-handed person to the left by making a push pass. So you do it by walking and you make as many corrections as you need and then you start kind of jogging and do the same thing. And eventually you're, eventually you're all out sprinting. You're sprinting while throwing and catching. And when you take it in as many steps as it, as it needs, you're, people get better at it much quick, much quicker and they gain a lot more confidence very quickly. And so that's how you scaffold new people into um, learning how to play Quidditch. Are you a seeker? A seeker after truth? I'm more of a chaser, really. And that's the end of the episode. Just uh, the normal plugs, um, the uh, recruitment guide, small practice guide, and the uh, full coaching manual are all at package.howtoplayquidditch.org, which has a package of materials for new teams, new players, um, trying to start new teams especially. And uh, feel free to uh, reach out on Twitter at HowToPlayQuid or the website for this podcast, which is cat.howtoplayquidditch.org and uh, get involved in the conversation. I uh, like hearing feedback from people who are listeners. I don't have too many listeners yet, but I'm hoping to get more in the future. So thanks for following along, and I'll see you later. Thanks.